Hey, listen to Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. That's how faithful our God is, amen? Hey, would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you that you're a faithful, loving, gracious, merciful God. Father, we come to you and we lift before you members of our church family who are in need of your touch this morning. I live before you, Dan Carrington, Prabha Emmanuel, Jim Wheeler, Nancy Hale, Steve Edwards, Walter Cruz, Dot Lott, and Lester Ritchie. And I pray, Father, that you would bring healing and strength to their bodies. I pray you would encourage their families. I pray you would meet every physical, spiritual, and emotional need they have in their lives according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray for the Amston family, the Hughes family, the Laster family, the McFarland family who have experienced death in their families. Father, I pray that you would bring your comfort and your peace to literally flood their hearts with exactly what they need at this moment. And Lord, we say to you today, we love you. Lord, I'm so thankful that this church has been here 150 years. I'm so thankful for those who have served faithfully throughout the years. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would put your hand of favor on rock and that you would use him as he brings the word in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, our guest speaker today is Rock Collins. Rock is the Director of Strategic Objectives and Evangelism for the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. I've known Rock for a long time. We went to seminary together. Now, I'm a lot older than he is. I promise you that. But he was a young guy there, and he and Gerilyn met at, at campus, and they got married. They have a wonderful family. And Rock is a great preacher of the Word. And I want you to hear him today. Listen to what the Spirit of God would say to you through the Word of God today. So, Rock, you come and bless our hearts, brother. Thank you, brother. Well, amen. It is indeed an honor to be with you today. I am grateful for the opportunity to be here, and I'm honored to serve you at the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. I do bring you greetings from Dr. Randy Davis, our executive director, and we rejoice in this time of celebration and what God has done in and through your church over these 150 years. I would like to share a little information with you that may be of interest to you concerning your uh, 150 years. We began keeping records a long time ago at the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Uh, I'm going to say that most of these numbers will probably cover about two-thirds, maybe a little more, uh, of the giving records that we have. So let me just share this with you. Over the course of the time we've been keeping records for the Tennessee Baptist Convention, we have found that this church has given to the International Mission Board through Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, $2,779,035. Amen. <laughs> this church is also given to the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering, $983,079. Amen. 
of particular importance to Tennessee, you've given to the golden offering for Tennessee missions $223,746, all of which is in Tennessee pointing people to Jesus. Over the course of this church's life that we have records, you've given to the cooperative program which supports so many different entities and activities and missions around the world. You've given $7,151,472. Amen to the glory of God. A particular interest to the director of evangelism in Tennessee since about the 1940s, we kept records from your baptism numbers, and you have baptized 3,502 in that time, and I rejoice for every one of those souls. God has been good. He has given you a rich heritage, and he's given you now a wonderful pastor. I love Brother Chuck. I've known Chuck Herring for about 81, 82 years now, I guess. I've only known Darlene 29 years. So that's how old she is. Is that right, Darlene? Where did you go, honey? That, I got that right? Okay, I make sure I wrote it down right. Amen. I'm so thankful for them and what a wonderful job they're doing leading right here. I love Brother Tommy, Miss Rose, and so many others. I could go on and on. So thank God for Brother Mitch Martin, the good work he's doing in, in disassociation. And I'm grateful for you and the good work you do to see people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, I have perused your history. I have read the messages that your pastor has preached the last two Sundays, and uh, I feel like I should just say amen and let's go eat. Amen. <laughs> But since we're here, <laughs> we'll just stay another minute or two. Uh, I, I, I don't know how much more I could add to your rich history. But I will say to you that the future is bright. I would tell you that our world has changed a lot in 150 years. Now, you don't have to say amen, but it would have fit right there because that was true. Our world has changed a lot in 150 years. The opportunities for us to be the church that God has called us to be, those opportunities are ripe. As Jesus said, the field is white unto harvest. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, I'm going to begin to read in verse 1, Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, and I would invite you in reverence to the Word of God to stand with me as we read. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, 
have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time of worship. And God, I pray that it would please you to preach to us today. Just dismiss me and set me to the side and let us hear from heaven. And may Jesus get all the glory. In his name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I'm not sure if you're aware of the fact that lostness in Tennessee is growing. From a 2021 survey, it told us that 73% of Tennesseans go to church seldom or never. Let me say that again, 73% of Tennesseans go to church seldom or never. That same survey told us that 35% of Tennesseans believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. 35%, that means 65% of Tennesseans either believe there is no heaven or there's some other way to get there other than by way of Jesus. When I tell you our world has changed, I want to stay right here in our Tennessee world and say to you, it is a picture of the worldwide, but our state is lost. We're approaching 5 million people who know not Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in the state of Tennessee. When I submit to you that our future is bright, you may say, well, that doesn't sound like a very bright future the way you're talking about lostness. Ladies and gentlemen, those are facts that the lostness is so great, but our future is bright because we know who holds the future. And we know that he can and still saves. So as we look to the future, What should we be looking for? You've had a rich heritage. You have a rich heritage. What does tomorrow hold? How do we get to the preferred future of our king? I submit to you we could follow some instruction that the apostle Paul gave in Romans 10 verses 1 through 4. And the first thing he said is, I'm concerned about my people. He said, I'm heart heavy. I am burdened to pray For Israel, my people, that they might be saved. So as we look to the future, what are we to do in this lost world in which we live? The first thing I'd say is we ought to pray. I said we need to pray. Paul didn't say I hope they'll get saved. He said I'm praying they'll get saved. How many of you know that when you pray for somebody to be saved, you're praying in the will of God? says in 2 Peter, he is not willing that any should perish. We ought to be praying for lost folk. We know how to pray. I said, we know how to pray. And often we pray for everything under the sun except lost people. We need to get a focus, a sharp focus on lostness around us. Do you know how you do that? It's very simple, actually. You just meet somebody that's lost. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. But, but if I ask you this question, how many of you know somebody lost? Now, now many of you immediately, everybody in the house raised their hand. Oh, I know somebody lost. Oh, so-and-so I saw over there, he lost. 
We can pick them out, can't we? But how many people have you talked to, you've had a conversation with, and in that conversation, they have expressed to you, they have zero relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're lost. The truth is, many in this congregation would have to say, even as I could say, there are people in my family that are lost. There are co-workers and classmates that are lost. There are neighbors in your neighborhood that are lost. There's folks you shop at Walmart with that are lost. Do you know them? There is nothing that moves us to pray for a lost person like knowing somebody's lost and realizing if they don't accept Jesus the Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will die, they will go to hell and be eternally separated from the presence of holy God. We ought to be burdened in prayer for lostness. I, I remember as a young teenager, my dad was called to a, a new church, a new field of service, and we moved, and, and I won't tell the whole story, but, but one night during the first revival service that, that he had there at that church, this man got up about four rows back, walked down. He began to talk with my dad at the front, and in a minute, my dad got down in the altar with him and opened his Bible. Brother Chuck, I've seen this story. I knew what was happening. And in a minute, he stood up, and my dad turned him around to face the congregation, and he said, this is Charlie, and Charlie gave his heart to Jesus today. Man, the place went nuts. We went plumb Baptocostal. <laughs> do y'all understand? We were swinging from the rafters, man. It was on. I thought, this is great, but I've never seen shouting like this and somebody got saved. I've seen this happen, but man, these people are crazy. See, what I didn't know is that Charlie was kin to a lot of folk in the church. And I didn't know that practically everybody in the church knew him. He was a house painter in our community. Everybody knew him. But here's what I didn't know. Those folks had been praying for Charlie for 25 years to come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. That's why they started shouting when he got saved. Now just compare that, if you will, to when somebody gets saved often in our churches. Oh, praise the Lord. We give them a little golf clap. Because we don't want to offend anybody. And I am fearful that our lack of excitement when someone gets saved is because we, we were not invested. See, that church was shouting the victory when Charlie got saved because they had been invested in his salvation. We get invested in lost folks coming to Christ when we get burdened enough to pray for them. So as we look to the future, we look and see we're in a lost world. What are we going to do? We ought to, first of all, be burdened enough to pray for the lost world we're in. Secondly, we need to have the right perspective. I said we need to have the right perspective. If we're going to have the right perspective looking into the future at a lost world, then I say we need to see that lost world where they are. Often we love to look down our long hypocritical nose and say, oh, look at them, they're lost. Can you believe they're acting that way? Well, as a matter of fact, I can believe they're acting that way. They're lost. 
That's how does the lost world act? Like the lost world. Because that's who they are. And our perspective is often they should know better. They don't. I'm not sure if you heard me. They don't. But Paul understood that as well. He said in verse 2, he said, my people have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He said, in other words, they have an enthusiasm about God. They have an enthusiasm for God, but they don't know him. Ladies and gentlemen, I could bring the apostle Paul in here, take his robe off, put a coat and tie on him, bring him in. He could preach this message today, and it would be just as relevant today as it was the day he wrote it. Because our world has a zeal for God. It's, it's amazing to me. When something tragic happens, everybody wants to pray. Everybody, everybody wants to seek some higher power. But just everyday life going on, they don't need God. We have a zeal for God when we need him. And we live in a day, can I, can I just be real with you? I'm going to leave in a few minutes, so I guess it'll be okay. We live in a day of biblical illiteracy. When somebody dies of notoriety, inevitably somebody will say about them, well, I guess they're just looking down on us. Well, why would you guess that? There was not one fruit of holy God in their life. They never professed knowing Jesus Christ. They never said a word about Jesus. They never did anything that would cause us to think they knew Jesus. Why are you going to put them in heaven? They didn't want anything to do with him here. Why would they want to be with him there? Oh, but God's such a good God. He'll just let everybody in heaven. Yes, he'll let everybody in who proclaims Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God who died on the cross, shed his blood for their sin, rose from the dead on the third day. They repent of their sin and trust Jesus. Yeah, he'll let all those folks in. But folks who don't get in, it's not because he said no, it's because they said no. We live in this day of enthusiasm about God but not knowing him he goes on in verse 3 and he really gets close to the corn so be careful he said they're ignorant (laughs) my lord you have to be careful calling folk ignorant today now now some of y'all know real well what I'm talking about do do you do you know what it means to be ignorant I'm going to give you a definition I know you didn't come to learn what ignorance was but I'm going to teach you anyway all right here you go you ready ignorance means not knowing that's it that's it. Some of y'all have looked at your kids just like I did, and you're like, mm. ignorant. That's all you can say. And, and while I'm there, teach them something. God gave them to you. Amen. And so, <laughs> hey, I'm glad y'all can laugh a little. Amen. There's only one place they're not laughing, and I'm not going. Amen. And listen. <laughs> He's going to get specific. He says, they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, 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 they were not ignorant of righteousness. They were ignorant of God's righteousness. Let, let, let me see if I can define those quickly. Righteous. Can I give you a, a picture illustration of righteous? That'd be okay? Okay, I'm going to anyway. So, watch right here. You got it? Y'all couldn't see over here? Let me, let me come help you. Here you go. Got it? That's righteous. 
You just standing there, preacher, looking stupid. What? <laughs> Righteous in its basis meaning means to be upright. The very base meaning. So righteous. You got it? I hadn't lost you, right? Now Paul says they're not ignorant to righteous. They're ignorant to God's righteousness. Now this is a whole other ball game. Righteous is just simply upright. God's righteousness, listen, means you can stand upright in the presence of three-time holy God. Now we're in a whole new ball game. Are y'all with me? Listen, we move from the little league to the big league because righteous in and of yourself is just up. But righteousness in the presence of three-time holy God, who can do that? There's only one here who can do it. His name's Jesus. Amen. And he is here. I invited him myself. I knew he'd be here. He's the only one who can stand upright. I know some of us think, and I hear you. I hear you. When I die, I'm just going to march up and I'm going to ask the Lord. No, you're not. Just hush. You're not going to do that. You know what John said in the Revelation chapter 1? He said he saw the Lord and he fell on his face as though he were a dead man. You know why? Because our righteousness is not like God's righteousness. So Paul said, my people are ignorant to God's righteousness. So they're going around trying to establish their own righteousness. Hey, hey, they were successful in establishing their own righteousness. It was called self-righteousness. Hey, man, I'm glad we don't do that today, aren't you? <laughs> Sounds just like us, doesn't it? When I say, as we look to the future, what are we going to do with this lost world we're in? We need to see the lost world where they are. They are not righteous in the sight of God, but they are righteous in their own eyes. In other words, they have established their self-righteousness and believe they are good enough. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. When we see a lost world, our perspective needs to be they need Jesus. We don't need to look at them and say they need this, they need that, they need to go over here, they need to go over. No, they need Jesus. We live in a society who believes if they're just 51% better than they are bad, it's all going to work out in the end. And I got news for you. Our God didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. If you go to Paul's land even today, you'll see those who are still very religious. They have their self-righteousness and they walk around revealing their tokens of righteousness so everybody will look at them and think they are righteous. Their religiosity is great and their need for Jesus is greater. Our perspective needs to be People need the Lord, and they cannot do it themselves. Prophet Isaiah said it like this, our righteousness is like filthy rags. Ladies and gentlemen, as we look into the future and see the lostness there, we need to pray for lost people. And we need to have a perspective that they need. Listen, they're not bad people. They're not awful people. They're just lost. Let us not be so quick to condemn, but let us be quick to see them where they are in need of Jesus. 
Let me go on. When we look into a lost world, not only do we need to be burdened and pray, not only do we have the perspective and see them where they are, but finally, we need to point them to Jesus. Verse 4 says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Ladies and gentlemen, the law is what Paul's people were judging themselves by. They said, if we can keep the law, then we will be righteous. We, listen, when we keep the law, we will be righteous in the sight of God. There was just one problem. Nobody could keep it. Nobody. Everybody tried, but nobody could keep it. And the law, my Lord, help me, the law was not established to fix your not keeping it. Let me see if I can help you. When I shave, and I have a little hair right here, but I shave over here. Okay. And when I shave, I usually look in the mirror. I put a little shaving cream on, I get my razor, and I, you know why I do that? So I can see where to shave. And sometimes when I finish shaving, there's still just some traces. There's just some traces of shaving cream still on my face. And so I lean into that mirror, and I wipe my face on the mirror. Isn't that what you do? I really don't. That was for illustration purpose. Because I would be crazy to move my face up against the mirror to wipe the shaving cream off. Because a mirror is not there to wipe my face. The mirror is simply there to tell me what's on my face. Come on now, help me. The law was not established to take care of my sin problem. The law was established to show me my sin problem. Are you with me? Yeah. Hey, but watch this, watch this. That's why Jesus came. He, oh Lord, this is good. He did not come to abolish the law. He came and fulfilled the law. It means he kept every jot and tittle of the law. And so when he went to the cross of Calvary, he bore not one sin of his own because he was and is righteous. But because he had no sin of his own, he and he alone was worthy to take your sin and your sin and your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world upon himself. And righteous Jesus went to the cross, stretched out his arms, nails, pierced his hands and his feet, a spear pierced his side, a crown of thorns pierced his brow. And on the cross of Calvary, he shed his life's blood for the remission, for the forgiveness of sin. So Paul said, the law is not where we find our righteousness. It's in Jesus and his work on the cross. Let me, let me see if I can illustrate quickly. As just a boy, I got on my knees at South Mountain Camp. I was at an RA camp. Anybody know what RAs are? Amen. If you're a royal ambassador, I'll not sing. And so I got on my knees at a last night RA camp. I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. I want to turn from my sin. And I turn to Jesus believing he died and he rose. And I want him to come into my heart and be Lord of my life. And God heard my prayer. And he looked at me and he said, well, let me check his righteous account. And when he checked my righteous account, I was overdrawn. <laughs> I was bankrupt, honey. There was not one ounce of righteousness in me. 
But God heard my prayer. And my prayer was, save me through Jesus. And God reached back into his righteous account that was full and overflowing. And he made a withdrawal from his righteous account. And he turned around and he made a deposit into my account. Listen, I know I don't look like much or sound like much, but I want to tell you something. I'm righteous today, not based on who I am or what I've done, but I'm righteous because God Almighty through Jesus has imparted his his righteousness to me. And so I say to you, if we're going to make it in this lost world that we're looking ahead to, we must, we must, we must point this lost world to Jesus because Jesus is the only hope that we have. We've got to point them to Jesus no matter what the circumstance. When the anti-Christian activities are occurring, point them to Jesus. When blasphemy of our Lord is heard, point them to Jesus. When chaos and confusion is all around us, point them to Jesus. When destruction and division is being propagated, point them to Jesus. When evil is exalted, point them to Jesus. When there's fighting in the streets, point them to Jesus. When the God-haters are hating the liars are lying and the sinners are sinning, point them to Jesus. When the devil's instigating and justice is nowhere to be found, point them to Jesus. When killing people's considered okay, point them to Jesus. When lies are told is truth and truth is told is lies, point them to Jesus. When men and women don't know what gender they are, point them to Jesus. When the whole world seems obstinate toward the gospel of Jesus Christ, Point them to Jesus. When the priorities of society are anti-righteous, point them to Jesus. When the ruthless and ridiculous are doing all the talking, point them to Jesus. In the midst of a sinful people, point them to Jesus. When times are tumultuous, unrighteousness reigns and virtue is extinct, point them to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot fix our society. We cannot take care of all the sins and the ills of our society, but we can point them to Jesus. And not only can we, we must. We must. And maybe today you sit here and there's never been an occasion in your life where you said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I got good news for you. The Bible said if you'd come to the Lord believing that he is Lord, he's the son of God, lived a sinless existence, died on an old rugged cross, shed his life's blood for your sin. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. The Bible said if you believe he's Lord and you confess him with your mouth, you shall be saved. See, it's not just saying those words. But it's being convicted with the belief in your heart to the extent that you say, I'm turning my back on my sin. I'm turning my eyes on the Savior. And I believe he is Lord, died for me and rose from the dead so much that my mouth cannot help but confess it. Amen. If that's you tonight, today, would you come? Our pastor and staff will be here in a moment. Our musicians are coming and getting in place. And today, if you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's your day. He can say, you say, well, I just came for dinner. Hey, I want to tell you, we'll have some dinner. But if you're lost, Jesus wanted to meet with you this morning. Would you come to Jesus? Somebody sits here today and you say, 
Brother Rock, I've been saved, but I never fought the Lord in believer's baptism. You ought to come make that commitment today. Man, I rejoice with Brother Sam baptized this morning. I started to get up and take a lap, but I thought y'all would think I was undignified Baptist. Man, I love seeing people get saved and baptized. And if you've never been baptized, that's the first step of obedience as a believer in Jesus. Come make that commitment today. Somebody sits here today and you say, Brother Rock, I'm saved. I'm, I'm a member of this church. Can I ask you something? Do you know anybody lost? Are you praying for anybody lost? Are you concerned about anybody that doesn't know Jesus? Somebody will sit here today and say, Brother Rock, as honest as I can be, I'd never tell it, but I don't know anybody lost by name. Friend, you don't have to tell me. Won't you come find a place at God's altar and say, Lord, would you just bring me in contact with somebody that needs to hear about you this week? Some of you are burdened for somebody by name. You ought to come get in this altar and say, God, I'm so burdened for, and call their name. Boy, I could run down the list right now, names I've got on my heart. People I'm praying will be saved. Somebody today says, hey, Brother Rock, I'm just visiting. Well, maybe you ought to join this church. Maybe this is where God's calling you. If I lived in Collierville, I'd come join this church. I know they'd love to have you. There may be a myriad of other things God is speaking to your heart about. Whatever he said to you, now's the time to do it. Father, thank you for meeting with us this morning. God, I thank you that your word is still true. I thank you, Lord, that your grace is still sufficient. <laughs> I thank you, Lord, that you'll still save whosoever calls upon your name. And God, I pray for that man or woman or young person who sits within the sound of my voice lost without you today. Oh God, may you draw them to yourself and may they say, I want Jesus today. God, you know the other needs that are on hearts, the burdens people carry. God, you know every heart in this place. I just ask you in the name of Jesus that you would move as only you can and pull us up next to yourself. Let us do business with you. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' sweet name, amen.